0: Flavio Manzoni, as head of Ferrari design, you must be
1: very satisfied with the new Ferrari Puro Sangue. It's a truly beautiful vehicle. Thank you very much. We are, of course, very proud of our new car. For many years, Ferrari said it would never build an SUV. And yet, isn't that what the Puro Sangue is? No, 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 no. It is a sports car. But it's tall and has four-wheel drive. And five doors. Yes, uh, that is uh, correct. Uh, it is a tall vehicle by Ferrari standards, but it is a sports car first and foremost, but also a vehicle built with utility in mind. But doesn't that make it a sports utility vehicle? An SUV? No, 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 not at all, because in Italian we call this car a uh, vehiculo di utilia sportivo. So, not an SUV, the Puro Sangue is a VUS. See?
0: Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. Really welcome, please. Sarah Leach. Hello. And Zog. Hello there. How are we, people? We had a good week. Yes, thank you. It was very good. Well, you know, not too bad. I cannot complain. You're becoming anglicised, I think, Sarah, because that is a stock British answer, isn't it? Not too
2: bad. Can't complain. <laughs>
0: you know, it was all right. Oh, it could dear. have been
1: awful.
2: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow. I need to go back to Australia for a little while, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd love to join you. It's been a while
0: since I've been there and it's a fine place to be. Uh, but last weekend we had another fabulous race. With the exception of the last, what, five or eight laps of the race, which was all a bit of a huge disappointment. And Zoggy, I'm going to read you and Sarah what our great friend Stephen Sacking messaged me just a few minutes ago. He said, that was such a disappointing end to the Italian Grand Prix, he says. I'm still irritated about it. Soggy and I were discussing it and it really wouldn't be so difficult to set out how they apply the rules in various scenarios towards the end of a race. But just running the last five laps behind a safety car should not be on that list. Sarah, do you agree
2: with Steve on that? I think I kind of do, because especially in light of the end of last year's finale, and I do think this really hit a sore spot with Lewis Hamilton in particular, because it brought on some probably not so pleasant memories of that final race in Abu Dhabi. So that was the title decider. And yeah, with that in mind, probably not the best way to end a Formula One race. And it's not really a crowd pleaser because it's not like there's anything that can really change, you know, behind a safety car. Hmm.
0: Well, I read something that Lewis had said after the race was that in Abu Dhabi last year, that was the only time that the rules weren't strictly adhered to. And we all yeah. complained about that. And we're complaining yeah. about this time. Now, that the rules were adhered to. Were they
3: right to do it, Zog? I would prefer that they would have thrown a red flag, stopped the race with four laps to go or whatever, and then set up a situation where they could restart with, yeah, whether it was three or four laps to go, you could still restart the race. You could have a sprint to the finish. You could actually have racing laps at the end of the race. That would have been better than what we got. Now, that said, what they did was in keeping with the rules, which was correct. It was, it was more correct than what happened at Abu Dhabi at the end of last year. The end of that race, it certainly made for a more dramatic finish than we would have got under the safety car. But it was also a result that, you know, was unfair, that subverted the uh, the correct result. They should have stuck to the rules then. They were right to stick to the rules at the weekend now, I'm not entirely sure, having mentioned the red flag and restart possibility, I'm not entirely sure whether it's completely at the race director's discretion whether to throw a red flag, as we're suggesting. But long story short, you can't cover all of the eventualities. You can't, I don't think you're going to have a set of rules that is going to, in black and white, clearly set out every course of action in every possible circumstance. Yeah. So when you've got 22 cars in a motor race... Weather happens, cars can end up stuck on the track in all sorts of different positions at all sorts of different phases of the race. And to try and come up with black and white rules that are clear and unambiguous and do not put anybody at a disadvantage when you do that thing at the end of a race is impossible. You know, you always have to have the room for somebody to, to, you know, make an intelligent decision about what is the right thing to do here when there aren't clear rules. You need some discretion. Yes, you want an exciting end to a race, but more than that, you want a fair end to a race and a safe end to a race. I think you put those two things first. Excitement, sadly, has to come third.
2: I tend to agree with you, Zog. I know, only I think the difference with Abu Dhabi last year is that it wasn't necessarily a fair ending. You know, Lewis Hamilton was Hmm. so far in front, and it just did feel like more of an injustice.
0: Yeah, and it was compounded by Michael Massey's decision to allow some of the cars that had been lapped. To pass, as opposed to all of them, and that kind of got your <laughs> well. Well, that was kind tight. of the
3: key unfair thing. Yeah, that was sort of the key uh, variation on what should have happened. That you know could the cause caused the trouble.
0: I know it's really easy when we're watching at home to make these decisions, but as soon as Danny Rick's car broke down, and oh, Sarah, I feel sorry for you. Poor. Danny I feel. Ricks. Oh, I feel yeah. sorry
2: for Daniel. I mean, the poor guy.
0: And what happened when Danny Rick's car broke down? The second it broke down, I was watching the race with Tycho here, and I said, there is no way they can remove that car without bringing a snatch tractor across the track. They have to red flag the race immediately. And I was screaming, Mm. red flag, red flag, red flag. And there Mm. is a precedent for that. We have seen it in the past. IndyCar always manages in the event of an incident on track, to pull the cars in and allow them to sprint, even if it's just one lap. That is great for motorsport. Yeah. And what is it, Mohammed bin Sulayam, you know, the new president of the FIA? What is it he said? We are in the business not just of motorsport but of entertainment now. So given that, I hope that he is reviewing procedures which mean there is a clause which says we have to ensure racing but fair racing because this is the problem Zog isn't it you nailed it that whatever procedural action is taken has to remain fair the task of the virtual safety car or the actual safety car is to neutralize the race and if you have a virtual safety car where people can pit that doesn't necessarily neutralize
3: the race, does it? Because it can give some cars an advantage. Yeah, but I think there's a real problem in trying to draw up your safety car, virtual safety car, red flag, you know, whatever arrangements, rules, in order that it will never disadvantage anybody. You know, unless you can do a video game style freeze and stop everybody at that point on track at that speed ready you know also, well you know what I mean yeah um, yeah I do. and you yeah. could yeah unless you, can, unless you can hit pause and then hit play again somebody can always be thrown a disadvantage you know mm. either they've just pitted and if the safety car or virtual safety car had been announced you know 10 seconds later they'd have been able to be less disadvantaged by the stop. There will always be something, you know, although there can always be something. And that's OK, actually. You know, actually, we, I think as race fans, we appreciate that this is one of the little uncertainties and it can gin up a race. It can add, you know, you have a race where things have settled down to a bit of a pattern. All of a sudden, you've got a safety car, shakes things up, and the rest of the race is, is all set for a more exciting finish. There's nothing like a random
0: factor to spice up a race do you remember that Bernie Eccleston was seriously advocating that there should be sprinklers on most circuits which should randomly
3: come on at some point oh my goodness and I'm all for that it's the same for everyone that's clearly going too far down the let's throw some random stuff in there you know a certain amount of rands a little bit of unpredictability and you know (laughs) happens is fine you know too much of it and it's a clown show You mentioned IndyCar and you're referring to IndyCar's procedures in dealing with hazards on track and incidents in the race. For me, IndyCar just goes a little bit too far in amping up the pure entertainment and drama at the expense of good racing, for me.
0: I always think that IndyCar does offer very good racing, but I think the main reason that in IndyCar that they're more prone to... Red flag it, which is often on ovals rather than proper circuits, you might say. I don't mean that ovals aren't proper circuits. Forgive me for that. But I think the main reason they do that is in America, as soon as you have no track action, you can take a commercial break. And so there are financial incentives for television coverage in America, where it's independent yeah, television, yeah. to do that. But hey, this is something that will, I hope, be resolved at some point soon. But let's talk in the few minutes we got left in this segment of the show about the real star, in my opinion, of last weekend, and that is Nick De Vries. Who had...
2: Oh, crikey. What a weekend, Sarah.
1: Imagine that a great that weekend. weekend.
2: I know. He actually got driver of the day, didn't he? He should have driver of the month, yeah. Yes, I was lucky enough to be in Berlin last year for the Formula E when he won the World Championship. Ah. he was formula e world champion last year so he's got a couple of accolades so he does deserve his spot in f1 and yeah didn't he thrive he took it with two hands
0: yeah i mean it was compounded in some ways because he was testing for aston martin in practice one as part of the young driver experience program that f1 has now and then got the call. Have you still got your Williams overalls with you? Could you just do Because he had driven the Williams in, yeah. in a practice session previously in, in the season as well. And he dropped into that car. And let's not beat about the bush here. Let's not sugarcoat what we're saying. He made Nicholas Latifi look like a sluggard,
3: didn't he? He incredibly ground him into the ground. It's a pretty bad look for Latifi that, a driver can just come in, sit down in the car on Saturday, having had a couple of hours notice that he was going to be racing that weekend, and that he can be so far ahead of Latifi in the race. No, he put on a magnificent show, was scrapping quite handily with Alonso at one point, if I recall. He's put himself in a very good position for a proper race driver. I think. A lot of teams are going to be having conversations with him. Oh, and can we also maybe just start up a petition to have... Nick DeVries play Kevin Eldon in the (laughs) biopic of Kevin Eldon's life I think He does look like him. I can't work it out. It's not going to work the other way around. The age gap's too great, but Nick DeVries could definitely play Kevin Eldon.
2: I'm sorry, who is Kevin Eldon? Am I meant to know? Kevin Eldon is a comedy character actor who uh, actually
0: appeared in Game of Thrones briefly, amongst other things, his own TV series. I'll have to look it up. Nick DeVries (laughs) looks like a young (laughs) Kevin
3: Eldon. He really does. Nice spot, Zog. Yeah, look at that, Sarah. I guarantee you will have seen him in some very funny British comedy. He's a very, very fine comic actor but not a star he's not a Rowan Atkinson or a you know he's always in, in smaller roles but he's terrific maybe yeah. his star will shine brighter now
0: that he's got a look-alike in Formula One now on the subject yeah, of Nick DeVries Sarah we were discussing briefly the dance between the drivers and the seats available Nick DeVries has suddenly got himself right in the game for a potential seat at Alpine or Williams if they take up an option because he's actually a Mercedes driver isn't he so you'd have to be released to go and drive for one of those two teams but also we've still got Colton Herter, I believe who is going to get an Alpine test but I don't think Colton Herter will get the drive. Why not? Well I'm reading the runes and every statement I've heard from team managers or the FIA all say, well, I don't think force majeure applies in Colton Herter's bid for a super license at the moment that, you know, what what is the force majeure? There isn't one. There's just a need for a driver. I do, however, agree that the number of points awarded for finishing in IndyCar doesn't reflect the level of competition in IndyCar it's actually measured as being below F2 and obviously this is to make sure that drivers do go through the proper stepladder into Formula One F3, F2, F1 but I think that's unfair I think IndyCar drivers are tremendous there's some real talent there Colton Herta might be one of them but I do think Alex Palo and Pato Award are far better drivers and arguably would do a better job in Formula One than Colton Herter, but hey, that's just my opinion. But Nick de Vries, where would you put him, LP? Williams, what do you think, Sarah?
2: Well, he's proven himself in Williams, hasn't he? I don't think there's been many times a Williams car has got up into the top 10.
0: (laughs) No, not recently.
1: (laughs) Not recently, no, no. Yeah, but
2: I, I, either either, I think I think he'd probably go with whichever option was put in front of him. But now he's a contender. You're absolutely right. But what's happening with Pierre Gasly? Surely he was a contender for Alpine too. Well,
0: as I understand it, Pierre Gasly can only move to Alpine if a replacement is found for him at Alpha Tauri. And that replacement at the moment, Alpha Tauri's choice is Colton Herter. And it would require unanimous agreement between the teams and the FIA to say, look, we know he hasn't met the super license points, but we're going to allow him in. And they've all said, no, that's not going to happen. So I don't think Colton Herter is going to AlphaTauri. I don't think, therefore, Pierre Gasly will leave, which means yeah. either Jack Dewan, more on him later, or... Nick de Vries will get a drive at Alpine but I think Williams might bag Nick de Vries so that still leaves Alpine scratching their heads but they do have options they do have options but one final thing very very quickly I'm gonna leave plenty of time for part two of this program we've got a lot to talk about but one thing I must talk about with you specifically Zog is the fact that the Red Bull Porsche deal appears to have hit the rocks and this is going to be good news, I think, either for Williams
3: or McLaren. I'm guessing you'd like to see a Williams-Porsche, wouldn't you? I'm being cautious because, you know, you mentioned two possibilities there, Williams-McLaren. I think I'd like to see either of those. I mean, McLaren have had a relationship with Porsche in the past uh, when they had the TAG engines, uh, T-A-G engines, uh, which were uh, sort of Porsche engines, but... Not badged Porsche. Terrible. (laughs) they were very heavy that wasn't one of McLaren's better spells a tie up with Williams would be interesting because Williams are in such a bad place at the moment you know they are so far off the pace of the front of the field and have been for a while that at the same time that it's a bit of a mismatch that you've got a company with the ongoing level of success that Porsche has hooking up with what is now an also-ran team I think we really fantastic to see how that type would work and just how well the combination of the two could work for Williams and drag them back up to the front how much can you improve Williams and how quickly I know Zog that for you that would be the
0: perfect team I know you've always had a soft spot for Williams and you are a Porsche man heck yeah yeah. you're wearing a pink pig t-shirt right now I am wearing my pink pink pig t-shirt absolutely good lad Sarah I'm guessing that if it was down to you, if you had the vote, you know, would Porsche go to Williams or would they go to McLaren? You're probably going to say McLaren because I think you've got a soft spot for McLaren. Am I right?
2: I do like McLaren, but then I don't know where Porsche would go to. depends what their long-term opportunities would be, which would probably be McLaren. They've definitely got the edge on Williams.
3: Yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah. However, I have a feeling that Williams might be an easier option for Porsche if they're looking to get involved in team ownership because it seems like one of the sticking points with Red Bull was to do with Porsche taking part ownership of the team. Red Bull didn't want to give up enough of the team. Now I think it's much more likely that Williams given that they've been bought by an investment company rather than a company that is massively focused on just going racing. I just think it's more likely that you could work out a deal with Williams owners rather than McLaren. And
0: I come back, Zog, to something I said on the programme a few years ago when Dorriton Capital bought into Williams. I said, I reckon in five years that team is going to be rebranded probably by one of the VW brands. I think I said at the time that I thought oh, it might be Bentley. It could be rebranded Bentley. But I think the idea of Porsche buying into Williams, relieving Dalton, capital of their risky investment by at least 50% would help Williams who have struggled for money so badly over the years that they've had a rubbish driver like Nicholas Latifi they've had to do that in order to survive so my vote would go to Williams Porsche it's pie in the sky at the moment we don't know but if it went to McLaren I'd be surprised but you're right Sarah each are a good place for the skills of Porsche we watch very carefully. Mm -hmm. Gareth Jones on Speed News Blip The Ford Motor Company this week announced the Ford E-Transit Custom. This new pure electric vehicle boasts not only a 236-mile usable range but also features what Ford call their Office Lighting System, along with an innovative tilting steering wheel. This features a platform at the base of the rim to mount a laptop or clipboard on, and the wheel itself can swivel to an almost horizontal position to form a table where the driver can do admin and invoicing. In our view, Ford have completely lost the plot here, because let's face it, no self-respecting white band men will ever deliver the paperwork, ever, nor drive over 200 miles a day, as they all knock off early, around about 3.30pm. It's been a fairly emotional week in a bit, generally, but... For me, that emotion peaked a couple of weeks ago when the Foo Fighters played a gig at Wembley. I've never been a big Foo Fighters fan. Always quite like them, but I would never call myself a fan. But I have enormous admiration for the show that they put on at Wembley, which was huge. And it peaked for me at the end of the gig when Taylor Hawkins, who the whole gig was a tribute to his passing, his 16-year-old son, Shane, joined the Foo Fighters on stage to play drums and thwacked the hell out of those drums. And I thought this was heart And for a man who marked the 100th anniversary of the day my father was born, you know, I was feeling kind of father and son emotional, the whole thing gave me an idea for a piece on this program that we should discuss. And that is racing dynasties I thought we would explore the world of sons and perhaps daughters of famous racing drivers who are racing in motorsport now and see where that takes us because we had a great moment didn't we at Monza where we had Mick Schumacher dicing with Nicholas Latifi for a few laps and I thought Mick you are doing a great job and I'm sure no one would disagree with me when I said well Mick isn't his father in terms of skills and determination but I have a huge soft spot for Mick I think he's a lovely lad having seen him in interviews and therefore I welcome him on the grid now let's just discuss Mick very briefly Sarah do you think Mick deserves
2: to be there I think he did when he came in because he won Formula 2, right? I yeah. think he definitely deserved it when he came in, but I'm not sure he's proved himself since. So it's arguable now whether he deserves the spot still or whether he's sort of dropping off or fading away. He's not necessarily consolidated or sort of followed through and executed his place in Formula 1 like some other drivers have. Yeah. So he definitely deserved the opportunity, but does he deserve to stay we don't know. But his last name certainly helps him out a little bit, but I think You know, take nothing away from what he, his opportunity that he deserved, but he just sort of hasn't done anything with it. So, arguably, maybe he doesn't deserve to be there still. Interesting.
0: Zog, do you know who the first father and son dynasty in motorsport could have been? Do you know? I've got an answer, I think, here. Well, I've got a
3: candidate. It could be, I mean, it probably won't be, but a candidate for first father son racing driver fair could be Sir Sterling Moss and his father, Alfred Moss. Oh, I didn't know this. Wow, okay. Alfred Moss raced in the 1924
0: Indy 500. Wow! I had no idea. Well, in that case, Zog, we are tying here, because when I dug into this, the first one I could find was Antonio Ascari, father of of Alberto Ascari. And Antonio Ascari died in 1924 whilst leading the french grand prix his son went on to become the champion in what 52 Mm. and 53 so it's been around a long time this dynastic racing heritage thing let's go through some of the big names you know the obvious one is graham and damon hill one of very few drivers who are both father and son world champions graham got what 62 and 68 damon 96. I loved seeing that happen. Also, around about the same period, Gilles and Jacques Villeneuve. Now, Gilles died in qualifying in Zolder in Belgium in 82. He got six wins, 13 podiums. Jacques, his son, had won the Indy 500. He won the Kart Championship in 95. And became F1 champion two years later in 97. And very, very nearly won it at his first attempt. And and then Jacques went on to compete at Le Mans. He came second, I think, in 2007, 2008, one of them. But there's also, of course, Jacques Villeneuve's uncle, Gilles' brother, confusingly, also called Jacques Villeneuve. So the Gilles-Jacques heritage is pretty strong. Was Jacques a better driver than his father, though? absolutely not well we'll leave it there because I think hey, there's no argument
2: there that? Yeah, no that was like that's a very adamant no <laughs> nah, nah.
3: and by the way those are the two drivers who I want to talk about okay obviously when you think of father son racing duos that is one of the first combos that comes to mind and jack was racing in the same era as damon as you say gareth and both have in common that they had slightly controversial clashes with michael schumacher on track yeah. more than once yeah in the case of damon settling the driver's championship in schumacher's favor yeah the fact is that Gilles was a driver who for so many fans that remember that era of racing and i don't but you know I've seen plenty of film of Gilles, and he inspired tremendous passion amongst fans. He was a tremendously exciting and talented driver. You could never accuse him of not trying hard enough. You know, one of the most extraordinary bits of film of Gilles Villeneuve is that of him trying to get a car back to the pits on three wheels. Yeah, He spun out and crashed, and his left rear wheel had been off, but he still wanted to get that car back to the pits. And then when he got it back to the pits, he, he insisted that they put another wheel back on the car, which they couldn't do, of course. But that speaks to his determination and his character. For anyone, again, not familiar with Gilles Villeneuve, I would urge you to go on YouTube and, you know, look for that clip and also look for the clip of him racing against René Arnoux in 1979. Oh, yes. And the two of them are side by side, neither giving an inch, racing with tremendous skill and tenacity. It's just a magnificent racecraft from both of them. So Gilles was this beloved, insanely talented driver, so exciting to watch, who was tragically killed in nineteen eighty two, as you say, and would never have the chance to achieve what I think everybody thinks he could have achieved. He started I think sixty six or sixty seven races, he had thirteen podiums, six wins, but never a championship. He was certainly talented enough to win. And then his son, Jacques. I think it's clear that Jacques just was not as talented a driver as his father. He won the championship in 97. But in a car that was the dominant car, yeah. the Williams was the best. That's not a diss against Jacques. Plenty of great drivers have won the championship in the best car. If you're the best driver, you tend to end up in the best car. But after his victory year, he had less success with BAR in the following years. And then with BMW Sauber and Renault. Again, he wasn't setting the world a light. You know, it seemed like maybe a bit of the fire had gone out of him after he won his championship, perhaps. And he's raced in NASCAR and other series since then. But again, with not much success. And so I think, yes, yeah, he's just not as good as his dad, sadly. But a great character. Mike's father, well, a great character. Definitely an individualist. You know, he's yeah. not somebody who would always toe the party line. He was outspoken, a bit bloody-minded, which could certainly wind people up. But like I say, he, you know, he had a personality. He had opinions, and he'd let you know what they were. And again, had a good, hard-charging style which gave us some great racing. And he won the championship that was denied to his father by his father's early death. So for me, yeah, Yeah. the uh, the Gilles and Jacques combo is... Right
0: up there. Is that your favourite father and son combo?
3: I think so. I mean, we sort of checked out which drivers we might talk about. I knew you were going to go for Graham and Damon, and I might have gone for Graham and Damon, because I don't think Damon was as good as his father. But, my God, he worked to win that championship.
0: That was my point. My reasons for choosing Damon and Graham as my personal favourites are that Damon was a self-made man. A lot of the guys in Formula One got in there with the support of their fathers or their family name. Damon had to haul himself into motorsport by backdoor of being a motorcycle courier in London, so he ended up racing that very same bike at Brands Hatch, got noticed, eventually Mm. made it into Formula 4, then Formula 2, then ultimately in the Brabham team in Formula 1, and then later Williams. Mm. I remember... First hearing about him in about 1985 when he was managed by a management group who I was connected to. and My God, Damon Hill. Amazing. The thing I loved about Damon, exactly as you said, he wasn't naturally gifted, but he raised his game. He took on the greatest, Michael Schumacher, in a great car and beat him. Only once, but Mm. that's enough for me. But the thing that most impresses me about Damon was he was, I think, the first Formula One driver... I remember ever talking about things other than Formula One in interviews, Mm. specifically the rights of people with Down syndrome, because Damon's oldest son was born with Down syndrome, and Damon was the president of the British Down Syndrome Association. And I always had an affection for people with Down syndrome, because I grew up knowing people with Down syndrome as a kid in Wales, and to hear my favourite racing driver now talking about a subject that was near to my heart... Right, he's my guy, and there will never be anyone to match my passion for Damon Hill.
2: Just one small comment on Damon Hill. Did you read his book? Have yeah. you had a chance to read his book?
0: I've read all of them, I think.
2: them. All oh, right. OK.
0: There are, there, there are lots of uh, Damon Hill books. Mm. Just reached and grabbed my championship year, which is a, a photo book.
3: Um, one of the others—they're
2: all up here. Um, the David Hill cookbook, there. The, uh, <laughs> <I haven't> tried, <laughs> really, <laughs> is there one of them? Hill's ever really, read
3: the I
2: actually met him years ago. I worked on the Claire Balding show, and he came on it as a guest when he released his latest book. It was an autobiography. He wrote his own sort of life story, and he actually had depression. Yeah, um, he's got he's got quite a um, you know he's a, he's a man of substance Damon Hill so he's quite sort of complex character and explains how he got into motor racing and then yeah very 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 interesting all the sort of things that happened around the death of his father and the consequences of that and yeah, very interesting book. I enjoyed it. It was a good read. So if anyone wants to read a good book, <laughs> go for Davidson. He's a fine human being. Yes, he is. Yeah, an impressive
0: guy. Let me tell you, losing your father at a relatively young age, as I did, and Damon lost his dad when Damon was, what, 14, I think, it has a profound effect on your personality for the rest of your life. And I think those of us who've lost fathers young spend the rest of your life trying to make up for that void i think it's true for me i'm generalizing but i'm sure it has that effect on just about everyone okay let's talk about a racing driver father and son team both world champions who are both still alive talking about keki and nico rosberg keki the 1982 world champion a finn so i love him too he was 34 when he won his championship. Nico, who won in 2016, I believe was only 30 years old when he won. And as we've discussed on the show before, a long time ago, our consensus was that Nico only really raced to appease his father. And as soon as he won the championship, he said, I'm out of here, I'm retiring.
3: What my take on it was, was that I felt that Nico quit as soon as he won that championship because he understood that he was never going to be able to beat Lewis Hamilton again he really called out all the stops and he really achieved absolutely the maximum he could achieve in beating Lewis Hamilton that year and again like Damon Hill he had to be very smart and he had to work at it and he had to rely on things other than pure speed in the car and i think he knew that it was kind of only downhill from there in in formula one yeah he's never going to top that why not quit now and i rather respect him for that i think everyone expects him to carry on i think a lot of people were a bit put out that he quit like that but he'd reached the top of his profession why not quit at the top sarah
0: how do you feel about nico rosberg personally i don't dislike him but i don't feel an affection towards him despite the fact that he's the son of a Finn I mean he is technically Finnish but he has a German passport doesn't he because he was born there do do Mm. you like Nico we see him on TV as a pundit these days
2: do you like him Sarah I think when he won the world championship I did really like him I think I really enjoyed the tussle he had with Lewis Hamilton and I thought it was a really good victory considering Lewis probably had the edge on him in terms of you know ability that particular year, but Lewis had a couple of crashes and things and the car failed. And but it just sort of like was on Nico's side. But long story short, I I did really like him, but I suppose he's become a little bit vanilla for me because he's gone off and he's passionate about so many different things you know he's doing electric cars and he's promoting himself on Sky and he's, I do like him but I'm not as endeared to him as a lot of other racing drivers. I like the
0: way that he's doing what his father did, that immediately he stopped racing, he's gone straight back into motorsport and he's running teams Keke Rosberg had a a BTM team for many years and now Nico is running an Extreme E team and I think that's what I like about him
2: I think that's good Yes. Next yeah. one,
0: Nelson and Nelsenio Piquet. Now, very controversial. Nelson, senior, won three world championships. Nelsonio won Formula E in its first year, I think, was it? And there's also Pedro Piquet as well, Nelson's little brother, was in Formula 3 or GP3 as it was before then. But, I mean, you know, he didn't quite carry his father's talent, did he, little Nelson?
3: No. And at least he hasn't inherited his father's tendency to make apparently quite racist and homophobic comments. Yeah,
0: yeah, thankfully. <laughs>
3: yeah. So
0: we'll move on from that. We'll dispense that, yeah. with those. Yeah. Neither of those two have covered themselves in glory for one reason or another, yeah. have they? No. Right. Okay. Okay, here's an interesting one for you. Jos and Max Verstappen. Who's the better driver?
2: Oh, definitely Max. Yeah. No,
0: oh, yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely
3: no question.
2: And I think his father's living vicariously through Max. I mean, yeah. you look at the shots of him of when Max drives. It's almost like he's fulfilling his own lost dreams.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's there at every corner and every moment, isn't he, Yoss? But I reckon yeah. Max's skills aren't entirely down to his father. His
3: mother has a racing
0: pedigree as well. She's- Sophie Cumpen. Oh. She was a kart champion in Belgium. Ooh. I mean, she, yep. she raced in the 89 Junior Kart World Championship. And here's something I didn't realise until the other day when I was looking into this. She raced against Christian Horner, who is, of course, okay. now her son's employer. Ha, 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 ha interesting so you know Max has got the advantage of racing genes from both his parents no wonder he's good right okay Michael and Mick Schumacher we've kind of mentioned this in passing Michael one of the most successful racing drivers of all time and an incredible driven man and talent his son yeah arguably very good because he certainly won F2 is he good enough for Formula One at the very highest level no but he is good enough for Formula 1. That's my take on it. Would you two agree,
3: briefly? Uh, borderline. Uh, you know, he's borderline.
0: Fair enough. Okay, Jan and Kevin Magnussen. Now, wow. who wants to take this one on?
3: This is an interesting one, because Jan Magnussen obviously had a bit of time in F1. You know, he seemed like quite a good prospect when he came into the sport, but he never really had the right car. Didn't really capture anyone's imagination. I can't remember how long he was actually racing in F1 for, but, you know, I think there was unfulfilled potential there. But then, you know, in sports car racing, he found a home with Corvette, and you know, we, we've we seen him several times racing Corvettes at the Mall. You know, he did magnificent work and really earned himself a place in the pantheon, there are quite a few names, but Endurance Racing Hall of Fame. You know, Jan Magnussen, yeah, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kevin, son of Jan, has brought a lot to Formula One. At the same time, his career Mark One was marked by quite a few crashes and coming togethers with other drivers i'm not sure that he's on all that many drivers christmas card lists as a result of that yeah he, he's a bit he, elbows he can, out yeah he's a bit bumpy yeah you know, a, bit bumpy. A, bit, a bit a bit elbows out but when he was brought back when he uh, got the hash drive this year he's been magnificent he's delivered i'm sure a lot more than hash would have expected so yeah i've got a, a lot of time for both the Magnusons. They're a great gear Okay, let's take the
0: leap from Nordic, northern countries to the southern hemisphere now for our next one. Sarah mm. as an Antipodean, Jack Brabham, his sons Gary and David Brabham. Black Jack won three world championships, didn't he? The only man of it to win a world championship in the car of his, his yes, own name, right. Brabham. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah The uh,
3: driver
0: Also there's Jeff Jack's oldest son Who was racing in Australia In Formula Ford as well So the Brabham dynasty Is pretty healthy Is your dad a Jack Brabham fan Sarah? Cause I know he's watched motorsport for a very long time Does that include Jack as a hero of his? I know he's not Australian
2: but you know <laughs> well, yeah, my dad's a motorsport fan, isn't he? And he used to, to drive. I actually don't know who my dad's favourite drivers are. It's a very good question. I will have to ask him that. Please do. I'd like to uh, know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I will. But he would know all about that, for sure. But Jack Brabham, he raced back in the day alongside, we mentioned him earlier, you know, around the same time as Damon Hill's father. Graham Hill, that's right. Yeah, yeah they were racing yeah, at the yeah. same time in so the 60s they, and yeah, 70s. Yeah, so I thought. Yeah, Jack Brabham, they they do go back quite quite a while. Yeah, no, I am aware of that family.
0: And I'm very proud that David Brabham is keeping the Brabham name going with a Brabham race car, which they've been developing, which I'd love to see racing at Le Mans. I don't know if it meets the hypercar rules. What's the latest on that? You're talking talking about the the BT62? That's what it is. Yeah, it went very quiet, didn't it? It looked like an amazing car, and I think they're building it for private customers. But I don't know if they've got the cash flow to make loads and loads and loads of them and start a race series, which is what they need to do. But I'd love to see the Brabham name at Le Mans. I think they have a better right to being able to race at than by college, do using the Van wall name, which I think is a travesty. Right, moving on. Okay, one of the greatest names in book We're going to rattle through now. We've been talking a very long time. Mario Andretti, 1978 champion. His son, Michael Andretti, who was 91 Kart CART champion, IndyCar in America. And Mario's grandson, Marco, who's raced in uh, IndyCar quite successfully. So the Andretti name, that's a big one. But I don't think either Michael or Marco are the talent their father slash grandfather was.
3: Yeah, I mean, Mario, what a legend. A winner in so many categories of motorsport over so many years, and also a fabulous human being. You've got to love Mario. Michael had his briefs in F1, but yeah, it was an in IndyCar that he really found his, his success. That's and right. And then as a team owner, you know, he's been a successful team owner. Incredibly good team owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. incredibly yeah,
0: good. Yeah. Across a whole range of categories, and I think the Andretti name is an essential part of American motorsport heritage, thanks to Michael's work, not Mario's work. Mm, and I think yeah. I think that's yeah, something that on, yeah. his father would be very proud is very proud of okay next one the fitty paldies now this is slightly Ah, complicated because let's see wilson and you're not
3: talking about the brothers
0: wilson and mo were brothers mo is like the granddad of motorsport i love mo i used to work with him briefly he's such a lovely guy he's the alice cooper of motorsport his grandsons pietro an enzo race getcho had a, a has seat for a while didn't he enzo got a podium in f2 he's doing great emerson's brother wilson is the father of christian Fittipaldi, who was a champ car race driver a, a sports car champion he won the weathertech championship twice as well dabbled in formula one had a go in minardi and footwork but never really made his name so unfortunately the Fittipaldi name has never re-emerged in Formula 1 but has acquitted itself across all other disciplines but maybe there's still time there's still time there will be a fourth generation of Fittipaldi who will be a world champion I'm not going to hold my breath but I hope it happens okay Japan Satoru and Kazuki Nakajima that's all I'm going to say Britain <laughs> England Jonathan and Jolian Palmer, both perfectly reasonable drivers Manfred and Marcus Winkelhock from Germany Staying in Germany Hans and Hans Joachim Stuck Complicated here because Hans, which one was the father, Hans Joachim or Hans? I can never quite remember. Can't help you there son. Yeah, it, it's tricky. Hans Stuck Sr. has grandsons, Johannes and Ferdinand Stuck, who also became racing drivers. So there's a German racing driver dynasty there as well, outside of Schumacher, of course, and in some ways the Rosbergs. I've made a note here of Andre and Teddy Pillette. I can't remember anything about those names. I think they only just got into Formula 1, both of them. And Reg and Tim Parnell, another dynasty. But there's a couple that we've missed that I want to add. First one is another Schumacher, David. Ah. Son, who's son, in was racing in Formula 3, not doing terribly well. But he also races in the DTM, in an AMG GT3. He does reasonably well there, but... Not the talent his father was. And if anyone was damned with faint praise, read that sentence again. I was going
3: to say, I mean, I'm not not sure that Ralph was...
0: Yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah, And here's one, slightly complicated, in that we have a son in Formula 1 whose father was a great driver, but not a racing driver. I'm talking about Carlos Sainz Jr. and his father, Carlos Sainz Sr., who was World
3: Rally Champion. I very nearly picked... Carlos, the two Carloses, the The Carlai to talk about instead of Villeneuve, because, yeah, I've been so impressed by the way that Carlos Sainz Jr. has come in and the way he's fitted into Ferrari and uh, the way he's developing as a talent. And yes, in an entirely different field, his father was a double world champion, wasn't he? That's right, Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've just been so impressed by younger Carlos. He's absolutely carrying the family racing tradition on in the proudest possible way. He's doing a magnificent job.
0: We have a couple here. I'm going to race through because we're running out of time. But there's one world champion whose progeny became race drivers that we haven't mentioned. The 1992 champion, Nigel Mansell, has two sons, Leo and Greg, who both raced in lesser formula. Didn't they race at Le Mans
3: about... Oh, was he- 10 or 12 years ago, correct. And 2010 retired on the second lap, it was or the fourth
0: lap, I think. Heartbreaking! So, this is the plan, Sarah. If you don't know this story, it breaks my heart to tell you this. I'm smiling when I say it, I shouldn't really. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> Mansell, you know, who is unstoppable, decides to enter Le Mans in a Mansell team, a team called Mansell Beach team Motorsport, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes,
0: and Mansell says, Right. I'm going to race with my two children, <laughs> the three of us in the car, Leo and Greg. Right, don't worry, lads. I'm going to start the race, you good old safe pair of hands, your dad. I'll take care of the first inch. then you two can come in. And on the fourth lap, Mansell Senior hits the wall, writes the car off, actually has a terrible, terrible accident, which really affected Mansell quite severely. He lost his eyesight for a while and had all kinds of mm. memory and hand-eye coordination problems after it but how heartbreakingly tragic is that where your dad puts a team together with your two sons mm. and then it all goes tipped up poor mansell i'm not laughing
2: it wasn't funny but it was tragic <laughs> well at least it was nigel that did that rather than one of the sons exactly. i mean he probably won't live that down for a long time now, they will never I let mean, him forget that will they? <laughs> i don't think so i mean it could have been worse i mean it could have been a serious accident so thankfully there was no Fatality. I mean, sorry to put a damper on
0: the story. No, no, fair comment. So here's one that we've missed out. Someone who you know. And that is Freddie Hunt, son of 1976 champion James Hunt. James Hunt, yeah. Oh, James Hunt, there we go. We raced with Freddie in the Gareth Jones on Speed team. He was a member of our team. And he's a
2: living
0: image of his father. I can't separate (laughs) the two. Well... Yeah, I can yeah. separate them because he doesn't quite have his father's racing skills, but I love Freddie Hunt because he looks like his dad, and that breaks my heart. As someone who's the living image of my father, that breaks my heart. Yeah, and, and there's yeah. another one as well. Nicky Lauder's son, Matthias, who raced okay. in A1 Grand Prix. Is he still racing? Yes, I no. in very minor series. In fact, he was racing against Freddie Hunt, in an Indian racing series. So you had Hunt versus Lauda. (laughs) Uh, And we've had Prost versus Senna too, where we had Bruno Senna, Ayrton's nephew, racing against Nico Prost, Alan's son, in Formula E. And in fact, Senna Jr., Prost Jr., and Nelson Piquet Jr., all raced in the same car in the Valianti Rebellion at Le Mans once.
3: Nice. Alan Prost, multiple world champion. Nicola Prost, his son. Great sports car driver. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, another good duo there. And uh, Jackie Ix and his daughter, Beninia Ix, who I think she retired from racing a few years she ago. She did. She did. Uh, but hey, we love Jackie Ix. Yeah, we love seeing Vanina race and go 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 fast Belgians. We love you. Yeah, Jackie X, a mm.
0: pretty damn fast Grand Prix driver, but six times winner yeah. of Le Mans, and arguably of all the father-son father-daughter combinations. You know, I love Damon and I love Graham, but I have such a place in my heart. I'll be honest, I have a massive crutch on Vanina X, who is Jackie's daughter, for two reasons. One. She is the living image of her father, but feminine and beautiful. She has the most lovely smile. She's a great racing driver. She raced at Le Mans a number of times in Aston Martins and Porsches in various classes, and she did pretty well. But I just adore her because when she speaks with her French-Belgian accent, you know, I would run away and marry her. I adore her that much. So, Vanina X. And a couple of slightly obscure ones. Not so obscure, Derek Bell, of course. His son, Justin Bell, was a great racing driver. He won in... um, Well, actually, came second, actually, at Le Mans, didn't he? In the McLaren Mm. one year. But did win in the GTS class in a Viper. So, you know, he's held the family name high. But there are two I want to mention right at the very end here. One is a dynasty who I guess we hear every weekend and we don't really think about martin ah. and alex brundle both great racing drivers both exemplary commentators
3: oh uh, yes i'm not sure i've heard alex commentating now you mention it
0: he's done a lot of formula 2 commentary and he sounds just like his father but about semi-tone up it, it's uncanny
3: <laughs> it is uncanny i'm gonna have to change some of the f2 coverage just to check that out
0: i'm sure that we've missed a whole bunch of people off here, and people are screaming. I can see, Zog, you've got one. You're pointing well, your I'm finger. Well, i got
3: one more. Go on. Yeah, last one I would throw in. Jona
0: Lacy and Giuliano. He's been in F2. He hasn't done terribly well, actually.
3: No, he raced in Fredge F4, GP3, Formula 2. I think he's, cu- he's currently in racing in Super Formula and Super GT. Yeah, because his mother is Japanese,
0: and he speaks French yes. Japanese, so right. he's perfect for right. Super Formula in Japan, but he's not yeah, as
3: mercurial. Yeah. As his father. I haven't seen him race, but I was always a big John Lacey fan, so necessarily a fan of his son as well.
0: Let's wrap this up. I've got two things. I want to ask you each who your favourites. Zog briefly, your favourite father, daughter, father, son team. Who is it? Gilles and Jacques. Of course. Sarah, we don't know who your favourite is.
2: I know. I know. Look, I do like Damon Hill and his father, Graham, particularly because Graham got the triple crown. But I've never mentioned my good friend from Australia, <laughs> Mick Dewan and his son, Jack. Of and gosh. Jack is a contender for Formula One now. So Mick Dewan, he was five times MotoGP or 500cc champion, you know, the two wheelers, obviously. But um, Jack has gone into single-seater driving and he started as a Red Bull driver he's moved over he's made the switch into Alpine then he's been developing and he's this year in the Formula 2 so I think he is a chance for eventually coming into Formula 1 but yeah so I think that's quite a nice little Australian father-son.
0: Sarah you mentioned on the program a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Alpine slot you said don't rule out Jack Doohan you said it and I thought no i a not hoping heck but again Jack Dewan's name has been mooted for that Alpine seat so it could even happen next year if the shuffling of the other drivers doesn't settle let's hope it does because mm. you know there is a bit of a crossover between motorcycle racing and grand prix racing don't forget john surtees the only man ever to win on two wheels and four wheels his son was tragically killed at brand's hatch in a formula 2 race i believe not long ago and it was that accident which ultimately led to the development of the halo in formula one saving racing drivers lives today but i'm going to finish with one which i didn't know about which i'm guessing neither of you two know about as well and that is there is a driver on the grid in formula one at the moment Whose father was also a racing driver?
2: Not talking about Max. And here's a clue. It's I think I know who it could be. Go on. Well, I do know that Daniel Ricciardo's father was uh, involved in racing. I'm sure it was. I'm sure he was.
0: Oh, that wasn't who I'm talking about. Is that oh, right? right? Was okay. his father a racer?
2: I, 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 uh, not like I, I know he was involved on some level, but I okay. don't know whether he sort of went professional or anything. But there is an interest there from his dad. Look, I'm not an expert on that, but but sorry, go ahead. I'm very intrigued now. Who is it? <laughs>
0: Alex Albon. Oh, right. Alex Albon's father was Nigel Albon, a touring car driver in the 90s. He used to drive a a Renault 19 and also took part in Porsche Super Cup Asia. So it's going to happen, isn't it? You know, if your mother or your father was a racer, it's part of the family's identity. It's going to be handed down And long may it remain so as well. You know, the king is dead. Long live the king. And on that poignant note, I think we'll leave it. Sarah, thank you very much indeed.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And Zoggy, thank you. Goodbye. We'll see you for the next On Speed. Bye-bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get
2: song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by WhizBang.
1: Gareth Jones on Speed!